time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. Welcome back to the Cold War, episode 232. Uh, we're still talking about Norway and Finland and their role in the how, when, where and why of the creation of NATO, Papa Bear. Exactly. Not only are we doing that, but we're also rewriting correctly the history books that you all used for the last 50 years. So you're welcome. Anyway, <laughs> said in the last episode that um, in uh, the late 40s, uh, Finland signed a treaty of friendship with the Soviet Union. Yeah. Soviet Union, Russia, Stalin was trying to get all of the countries on its borders to sign non-aggression pacts uh, with varying degrees of success. Finland right. agreed to it. There were some others that we'll get into. Uh, but the Norwegians didn't want to play, and no. that caused some problems. But we'll we'll dig into that as we go. But we also talked about how uh, Finland had been part of the Kingdom of Sweden for a long time. Then it became basically uh, the Grand Duchy of Finland as mm-hmm. part of the Russian Empire in the 19th century. And then when the Bolsheviks took over Russia, they granted all countries, all minorities, uh, the the opportunity to uh, have self-determination. The Finnish took it. 1917, right. they declared their independence, was uh, uh, accepted by the Bolshevik government within weeks. Mm-hmm. But then there was a civil war in Finland between the whites and the reds. The whites, the conservatives, were supported by the Imperial German Army. The reds were supported by the Vol- Bolsheviks, and the Germans won. Yes. Uh, the German side, the whites won. And so Finland ends up. No, no, that was wrong. Sorry. White, white is right. Uh, ends up, uh, make Finland great again. They, <laughs> that was their motto. Uh, Maffa. Uh, no. Maffa? Mafiga. 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 I don't Mafiga. know. Mafiga. Yeah, be careful Mishugana. how you say that. All I hear is Mashugana. But go, but go ahead. <laughs> And Finland ended up in the German sphere of influence as a result. Now, after that, there was a Soviet-Finnish non-aggression pact signed in 1932 by Finland and the Soviet Union. Right. But by the late 1930s, the Soviets were starting to worry, and by the Soviets, read Stalin, were starting to worry that Finland could be used as a springboard for an invasion from Nazi Germany. Right. So they started negotiations with Finland to conclude a military agreement. Mm-hmm. But then, August 1939, Soviet Union and Germany signed the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, according to which Finland was part of the USR's sphere of interest. Sphere of influence. Yeah, I love that. It means you can do whatever the fuck you want to them and we won't say boo about it. That's what yeah. it means. Yeah. They traded it like a Pokemon yeah. card. Exactly. And so Stalin had a free hand to do something about the situation. Now, what he did was demand territories yeah. along the border and the islands 
um, around something called the Karelian Isthmus, mm-hmm. which is this small stretch of land just north of St. Petersburg. If I talked about the uh, the border in the last episode, remember with the flaccid two-headed yes. penis? Yes. Uh, which is Norway and Sweden, and then Finland's the ball sack, and then right down at the sort of bottom of the ball sack, mm-hmm. um, above the taint, right. is this little stretch of land that goes to the butthole. If St. Petersburg is the butthole, right. uh, the taint is the Karelian Isthmus. And right. the Karelian- this is obviously an important yeah. corridor for, yes. from Stalin's perspective. Yes. So he tries to demand territories and islands along here, as well as the uh, military base uh, uh, that's kind of near the Finnish capital, and the destruction of all defensive fortifications along the Karelian Isthmus. Right. The Finns told him to go fuck himself in Finnish, which is like, gritty, gritty, fuck your It's kind of like Swedish, but slightly <laughs> more much Russian. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. So the pact, the, the non-aggression pact, was unilaterally renounced by the Soviet Union in 1939. And then they they actually did, a to justify it, they did a false flag operation at a place called Manila, right. a Soviet village near the border of Finland, oh. which they attacked and blamed it on Finland. As you do. As, as as you do, yeah. Can, can I just say something real quick? Because I want to stress to the listeners, when Stalin is negotiating for the land, which is not going to work, like you said, they told him to go fuck off, and, and it starts the Winter War. Stalin is not doing this just to be a jerk. I cannot stress this enough. I'm not a big fan of Stalin. I don't have a big poster of him. I have a very small poster of him. But the point is, he knows enough to know, and you were saying this a second ago. Is that the one of him naked, lying on a bearskin rug, holding a glass of vodka, is there, placed over his genitals. Is, is there any other picture? I've never seen any no, other are. pictures. Okay. But that's, are that's the best. That's, yeah, that's oh, the yeah, best yeah. one, yeah. No, but yeah. Stalin knows that Finland is pretty much in camp or in bed with or connected to Germany. He doesn't trust Germany, even though he's got this uh, non-aggression pact with Germany that signed uh, in August 1939. But Stalin was literally just saying, hey, you cunts are going to come after us. I want to push my border back with you as far as you will let me. I need as much breathing room. I need as much space as I can get so I can put my troops in there. We can deploy. But the point is, for Stalin, this was a defensive movement. Movement Was it a dick move to invade? Yeah. But Germany had said, do whatever you want to Finland. We don't care. But this was Stalin going, I'm gearing up and I'm getting ready for the war that's obviously coming. So just keep that in mind when you when you hear the Winter War or that when Stalin launched an attack against Finland, there was a reason for it. You know, I told you in the last episode that I was talking to uh, my friend Dennis in yeah. Kiev um, and late 20s, and we were talking about the Holodomor, uh, Holodomor, Holodomor and all that kind of stuff, um, the Great Famine in Ukraine in the 30s that gets mm-hmm. called a man-made disaster and is blamed on Stalin primarily. But, I, you know, I was saying here's the question that I always ask myself. Mm-hmm. If Stalin hadn't been in control of the Soviet Union from the late 20s through Ooh. to the early 50s, right, if he hadn't, like, okay, so we've talked about this before. Um, Stalin obviously was convinced that Russia slash the Soviet Union was going to be attacked at some point mm-hmm. in the near future by yes. some combination of Germany, Britain, and the United States. Right. 
uh, or all of the above. And uh, he didn't know when, but he thought it was coming soon. Mm-hmm. Obviously, all of those countries expressed their hatred of communism and, and their hatred of, of Russia. Right. Uh, um, and he knew that the Russia that he inherited from Lenin and, and from the czars before them mm-hmm. was backwards as fuck, like Virginia-level yes. backwards, well, even yeah. West Virginia-level backwards. A lot of illiteracy. Uh, they, yes, absolutely. They barely got out of, of serfdom. Uh, when the revolution happened, they barely made it into the Industrial Revolution. Their economy right. was way behind the rest of the world. And if they had any chance of surviving uh, another invasion, right? Uh, let alone trade wars that were already going on, they'd already been blackballed um, by all of the Western countries after the Bolshevik Revolution. You know, it was only when FDR came to power that America started to have a diplomatic relationship yes. with the Soviet Union. Yes. Um, uh, uh, he knew they needed to m- very, very quickly uh, improve their industrial uh, infrastructure uh, and, and their output. Right. And um, so, you know, Lenin had already had the five-year plans. Stalin had his five-year plans, but mm-hmm. pushing really hard to try and upskill the country as oh. quickly as possible yes. because he knew what was coming. And yeah. it's not just war. Like uh, he had a population of uh, it was like 160, 170 million people from memory growing rapidly, yes. um, a lot of kids being born. How the fuck are we going to feed them? You know, exactly. the world was having famines all the time. Of course, it wasn't just the Soviet Union that had famines in the 30s. America had famines. America had the the Dust Bowl. You had the Great Depression and then you had the Dust Bowl and the collapse of agriculture because people around the world didn't know how to farm shit back then for a massive population. They were just just digging shit up in the ground and Mm -hmm. they didn't realise you had to, you know, sow things back into the ground or there's all these nutrients. There's a science behind it. There's a bit of a science, yeah. So the world, you know, it was fucking useless with this stuff uh, to a large degree. <laughs> it didn't didn't really understand what fertilizer was, etc., right. etc. Et yeah. Um. Uh. So anyway, Stalin, being a psychopath, mm-hmm. had the view that listen, if you need to break a few eggs to hey. get this shit done, so be it. Right. Like again, and I'm not trying to justify Stalin, but you got to think about his motivations. If you're going to learn anything from history, you need to try and understand. The, these leaders and, and what was probably going through the head. I don't claim to be an expert on Stalin, right. uh, his his mentality, but from everything that I've read mm-hmm. and all my study of psychopaths, right? Here's my guess: is Stalin was like, okay, um, I've got a choice. Um, either all 170 million people are going to die from a combination of famines and wars and trade embargoes and whatever, or be subjugated, or a large. Large percentage, exactly, taken over, a large percentage of them, whatever. Or I'm going to have to sacrifice a few million who don't want to get with the program in order to quickly get us into the fucking 20th century. Right, right, because it's coming. The war is coming, yeah. Yeah, and all of those things are happening concurrently. Famines, um, war, and trade wars, military war and trade wars, economic wars. Right. Now, my question is... Mm -hmm. 
if you didn't have a guy like Stalin in control of the Soviet Union during those decades, right, and Russia and and Germany, Nazi Germany had invaded in 1941. What would have happened? They, you know, the Soviet Union lost 20 million people in World War Two. Yeah. Yeah. How many would they have lost if Stalin hadn't been in power? Now yeah. we know Stalin purged a bunch of generals and that kind of stuff. So maybe there's an argument that they their their military might have been better prepared than it was. But yeah. the flip side is, we know from those secret recordings of Hitler that mm-hmm. were taken in the train when he was meeting with somebody from uh, Norway or Sweden or whoever it was, some ambassador. I can't remember the details. Those secret recordings, Hitler was like, if you'd told me, <laughs> if you told me six months ago that the Russians would be put, uh, put manufacturing 40,000 tanks a month, I would yes. have yeah. Better probably than had ours. you shot exactly. for being an idiot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fuck me, but he's like fuck. You yeah. hear it in his voice in these recordings. He's like, but fuck me, they're doing it. I, I, I don't understand how they managed to do that because Stalin could get shit done because he's like, you build tank or I shoot you. That's right. So yeah. it was, and and the defense of Saint Petersburg uh, just throwing, you know, millions and millions and millions of men at the Germans until they gave up, like. Yeah. It, uh, and then the Cold War with the United States and, and the trade wars and all that kind of stuff. So I wonder, if for all of Stalin's um, evils uh, mm-hmm. that he that he was responsible for, his, his psychopathic approach to solving problems, right? which is, look, I need to sacrifice five, six, seven million people to get the job done. Yeah. It's the trolley problem writ large, right? Right, yes, very is it large. Better, is it better to have to sacrifice 5 million people to save 165, the other 165? Yeah. Yeah. Or do I just be a nice guy and 100 million people right. die as yeah. a combination of all of those things? I mean, yeah. no, it's, it's, a it's not a justification, but it, you've got to think about, question. Uh, you know, what the alternatives yeah. might have been like if you didn't have a guy like that. Right. In power. Anyway. Yeah. If I could, because you just set my brain on fire with that. But when you were talking about those countries kind of lining up against Soviet Russia, you have to add Japan. Because in 1939, Japan did fight. Uh, mm. I can't say technically they went to war, but there was a very uh, – four to six month contest between Soviet troops and Japanese troops. Uh, the battle of M- M- Monohone, uh, Golan Ko. I'm trying to remember to get different names, but this was near the border of Mongolia. And so here is Stalin with this massive country. He's got the Japanese over here. He's got America, Britain, Germany over here. So he has legitimate concerns, but just really quick, just be, and I, cause this is fun for me, but if Stalin had not been in charge, one, they probably wouldn't have industrialized as much as they did because he had to sell a bunch of wheat to buy equipment to make steel. Two, Hitler was going to flood the entirety of the area that is Moscow, turn it into a nice lake for all the Germans to visit for their holidays. He was going to annihilate the Slavic race and the country would have disintegrated and fallen apart. So Stalin, at the end of the day, did a lot of bad things. But if you look at the big thing as far as him trying to get his country ready for war, he did that in spades. And the other thing that you mentioned, Stalin had to replace his fighting units. And I mean, all of them, the entire force that was defending him, he had to replace those men five times. He didn't just lose an army. 
He didn't just lose a, a whatever. He lost everybody, the equivalent of every soldier that fought five times. So it takes a, it takes a person, a psychopath, with his with his ability to not care about people and go. I just lost two million men. Send another two million more. And if you could train them a little bit, that'd really be great. But I really don't give a fuck. Get them to the front line as soon as you can. So it's that all or nothing, black or white. I have to succeed no matter what mentality. That one, made him a cruel person, but two, helped him achieve his aim, his goals of being able to defend himself against the eventual coming war. And basically, as acknowledged by uh, um, Churchill and Roosevelt, yeah. de- defeated, oh, and that basically was the other yeah, defeated 80, Hitler. 80% of German casualties were in the Eastern Front. Yes, yes. If it wasn't for yeah. Stalin, it... It's not. It's you don't even want to think about it. You do not even want to think want to think about what ha- would have happened to Europe, because uh, maybe eventually Franco comes in. But the point is, Stalin tore the guts out of Nazi Germany. But he's the bad guy. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. So what the Finns told him to go fuck himself. <laughs> yes, thank you. He staged a false flag <laughs> operation in this place called Manila, uh, right. Soviet village. Now, materials in the private archives of. Um, Soviet Party leader Andrei Zhdanov showed that it was orchestrated, that it was a false flag. Right. It's not a conspiracy Just like theory. What Germany did Stop. with Poland. Yeah, yeah. You're, they attacked and Germany us. did, yeah, the burning of the Reichstag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the the Americans did uh, Vietnam um, with the, uh, what was the ship that got attacked that oh. started America's involvement in Vietnam? Oh. Was, there's the Lusitania in World War One, and the, the one in the Ameri- in Vietnam is yeah. the... Mm-mm. I'm in Finland right now. I can't. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Jumbled up in my brain. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's backed up by Zhidanov's stuff. Um, it started what was known as the Winter War or the First Soviet-Finnish War. Right. That ran f- until March 1940 with the signing of the Moscow Peace Treaty in which mm. Finland ended up ceding 9% of its territory to the Soviet Union. Now, yeah. that sounds like a victory for the Soviets, uh, and it was in a way, but Soviet losses were very heavy. Oh, their international horrible. reputation suffered. Yes, and Hitler <laughs> saw it as a, a, yeah. yeah, he noticed. He took, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you guys shit. suck. You, <laughs> the Finns whooped your ass until you sent the Finns of all people, and they're not even German. Until you sent in massive amounts of numbers, they were kicking your ass. Oh, this is going to be easy. This yeah. is going to be easy. So it kind of sped up his timeline for invading the Soviet Union because he's like, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. Right. Um, Now, in his 1970 memoir, which I just started reading, by the way, Mm -hmm. Nikita Khrushchev wrote about the Winter War. He said, we had fired our salvo and the Finns had replied with artillery fire of their own. De facto, the war had begun. There is, of course, another version of the facts it said that the Finns started shooting first and that we were compelled to shoot back. It's always like that when people start a war. They say, you fired the first shot or you slapped me first and I'm only hitting back. Right. Very true. Very yeah. true. Um, go look at Israel and Palestine. Right. Um, but in 1994, Boris Yeltsin denounced the Winter War and agreed that it had been a war of aggression on behalf of the Soviets. Yeah. Um 
But anyway, this is after Zhdanov's stuff came out. But of course, in 1941, the Germans did attack the Soviet unions only 15 months after the end of the Winter War, and they did attack them from Finland, as Stalin had predicted. So yes. and got the Finns on their side in a limited way. Yes. yes. So Stalin's predictions came true. And this is known as the continuation war because it was a continuation of the first Soviet-Finnish war. Exactly. Um, it's also known as the Second Soviet-Finnish War or the Finnish front of the Great Patriotic War. Right. Oh. It went on until 1944, and plans for the attack, as you said, were developed from the German side both by the Wehrmacht and the Finnish political and military leaders that were yeah. running the country at the time after the Germans got involved. The Finnish president at the time, Risto Ritti, uh, had this vision for a greater Finland. He right. wanted to expand their territory. Right. His commander-in-chief, uh, Mannerheim, wanted to annex big sections of the Karelian Isthmus, mm -hmm. um, the territory they'd lost to the Soviet Union, plus some more just to be safe, <laughs> the usual sort of thing that you want to get out of your war. Exactly. So after World War II, uh, when all of this dies down, Nazis are defeated, they end up signing the Finno-Soviet Treaty of 1948, the this Friendship Treaty Non-Aggression Pact that we talk about. The Soviets wanted a buffer zone. Yes. The Finns wanted to increase their political independence from the Soviet Union. Yeah. And this was so well written, this treaty, that it lasted until 1992 with the collapse of the Soviet Union. And then they made another treaty. Because it's a different entity. So they literally, that ended because of the collapse of Soviet Russia. They literally turn around and make a new treaty. Because, again, these are your neighbors. You you stay over there. I'll stay over here. You know, whatever. But the point is, it's best to know. And so Finland did not hesitate to make a second treaty. So so this is this is a touchy, this is a, a, a difficult moment for Finland. Because on one hand, there's rumors going all over the place. You know, what, what does Stalin really want from us? Um, can we trust him? You know, no one feels like they can trust him at this point. And so fi Finland's going to go into this. But the good thing for Finland is, and, and I won't say too much because some of it comes at the end, but Finland basically wants to be left alone and they want to just be able to get on with their lives. Stalin wants to make sure that nobody comes through Finland to attack. So you've got two countries that have needs. Fortunately, these two needs do not clash with, with each other. They should be able to work something out where it's mostly beneficial to both sides. Those are the facts. The perception by the Americans and the British is something much, much worse, something much more extreme. And again, the Finns are being forced to do this, yada, yada, yada. That's the Americans and the British uh, position. Uh, they're freaking out, but the Finns are like, no, we want an agreement with them. We're just not sure they'll keep their their part of the word, but we have no choice. We have to have some agreement with them on on paper. We and share so a did. huge fucking border yeah, from the yeah. pubes down yeah. to the taint. St and Stalin does not have to be nice to us. We This is a treaty asking him to stay on your side and we'll stay on our side. And guess what? They do. They sign, and I'm not going to give too much away, but they sign a treaty. There is never not once from 1948 or whenever this, yeah, 48 to 1992, not once is there an excuse for Soviet troops to enter Finnish territory. There is no joint military games. That's normally your excuse to put your guy, your troops in their country. No. So for better or for worse, whatever you want to say about Russia, they did honor this treaty. 
which is pretty impressive. Yeah, and the treaty itself is pretty interesting. The Soviets went really light on this treaty. Yes, it was exactly. really delicately handled. Now, one of the suggestions in the books is that because they knew Finland was possibly going to join the North Atlantic Alliance as well, right. they tried to craft this in a way to make it extremely attractive. Um, by the way, Soviets knew all about the secret negotiations happening <laughs> in the Pentagon about right. the North Atlantic Alliance because uh, one of the guys sitting in on the top secret Pentagon meetings was Donald McLean, <laughs> one of the Cambridge Five, who was a KGB yeah. spy. Yeah, he said, hey, Bosch, you might want to take it easy on Finland because everybody's fucking watching. I know you're watching them, but they're watching you. And again, and, and I don't want to put words or thoughts into Stalin's head, but at the end of the day, he's probably going, and again, Stalin's very practical. He's probably going, well, I just want to make sure we're not attacked through the north. So being easy on Finland might not have been my original plan, but if they can guarantee me that, then I'm good. And that's exactly what happens. And so maybe Donald McLean had something to do with it, but Stalin is like, no, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make this lighter treaty. And again, they honored it. Now, some of the terms of the treaty were that Finland was obliged to resist armed attacks by, quote, Germany or its <laughs> allies, what? end quote, which really means the United States and its allies. <laughs> yes. If necessary, Finland would have to ask for Soviet military aid if it needed it, mm -hmm. but the pact didn't provide any provisions for the Soviet military to enter Finland right? and stipulated that all actions involving the Soviet military entering Finland would have to be agreed separately if Finland requested aid. If, not when. If, yeah. How how many times in history, how many times have we done examples of, oh, this country, a, country A invaded country B to protect it from country C? No. And, and so what, what and again, this is another impressive aspect of this treaty, because the Soviets are saying, if you're attacked, we'll come and help you. But we have to have your permission. You have to ask us to enter. Mm. I mean, that doesn't sound like an invader to me. Again, Stalin is just trying to lock up the northern part of his border so we can focus elsewhere. That is what he wanted out of this. That is what he got out of this. But the reverse wasn't true. If That's, the Soviet Union was attacked, exactly. Finland had no obligation yeah. to come to their defense. I as mean, long as they were obviously there's through. a... Right, right, right. Sorry, go ahead. There's a huge power differential between the Soviet Union's yeah, military and Finland. But so, still, yeah, we, do, yeah. we don't expect you to help us. If we're if we're attacked in some other direction besides Finland, you do not have to lift a fucking finger to help us. And Finland's right. like, where do I sign? I'll sign that all day long. Now, one of the consequences of this pact is that Finland stayed out of the Marshall Plan. Yeah, that, that was the right call. Just delicate observation of niceties. You know, what do you think? Yeah, Don't piss I off mean, Stalin. It, Don't piss off Stalin. Yeah, they wanted to kind of stay neutral, I guess, in in respect of picking sides here. Exactly. They didn't get involved in the Marshall Plan, which meant that their economic recovery took a lot longer than the countries that did. Yes. Um, now, the USSR's influence over Finland during this period is often referred to as Finlandization. You still hear that term used today mm. when you're reading about geopolitics, basically means when a powerful country makes a smaller country kind of do its bidding or right. refrain from opposing it, what the stuff that it does, 
by allowing it to keep some form of independence and its own political system. It's the Finlandization of a country. Right. Uh, it's used as a pejorative, but that's how the US conducts most of its policy around the world today. I mean, we yeah. know that basically US diplomacy is like, hey, you can keep your own government and you can keep your own flag and we won't put an army in you, but as long as you do what we say. Don't piss us off. Is, Just don't piss us when off. When you stop doing what we want, yeah, then, you know. <laughs> we might have to knock on your door. All bets are off, exactly. basically. Yeah. yeah. If I could real quick, and, and, and I don't want to hammer the point too much, but – what what get what gets lost in history and what got lost at the time because of America and Britain's uh, perception of the reality on the ground was that in reality, this was Finland doing the best they could with what they had. Stalin could have run roughshod all over them because fin- Finland's in there going, you know what, America's way the fuck over there, and they may or may not help us, but S- Stalin is right there and he could hurt us. Britain may defend us, but they're too weak, even though they're closer. This is Finland doing the best they could, and they just wanted to be left alone. And they told Stalin this, and I think this is in the treaty as well. We want nothing to do with uh, great power conflicts. We don't want to be some great power. We don't want to strut across the stage. We just want to be left alone and live our lives. And Stalin's like, I can live with that. And Finland, from what I can tell, for the most part, got what they were looking for. So again, they were making the best of their situation. And they didn't have a communist government and they didn't have to conform yeah. uh, to the common form or anything yeah. like that. They yeah. just uh, did their own thing. Exactly. Now, the president of Finland at the time from 46 to 56 was the guy you mentioned in the last episode, Pasakivi. Right. Yeah. Uh, from what I gather, regarded as a bit of a legend today yes. in Finland for shepherding them through this period, he understood it was important because of their close proximity, the big shared border for Finland to have a trusted, good and trusting relationship, friendship with the Soviets. And he managed to pull it off. And and the treaty was designed in a way, as we've said, it was very successful for Finland. His predecessor, Risto Ritti, the guy that collaborated with the Nazis, Mm -hmm. was found guilty after the war of crimes against peace and was sentenced to 10 years imprisonment, but Pasakivi pardoned him and his colleagues. Wow. Yeah. Risky, but independent. He was showing his independence. That's pretty impressive. So, well, even the guy that got Finland into a war with the Soviet <laughs> Union didn't have to, didn't get punished. Right. Um, you know, the Soviets yeah. didn't say you have to, you know, have that guy executed or put him right. in jail and throw away the key. They pardoned him. Yeah. Um, which <clears throat> again is just a sign that they were able to do their own thing and and um, uh, we didn't have any uh, major interference from the Soviet right. Union. Be- before we go on, I, I think I don't know if we're going to talk about Norway some more, but before we go on, mm. there's just two little tiny points I want to make, kind of wrapping up, as it were, the uh, Finland thing. One, don't think that the CIA didn't find a way to get into Finland because now they've got this treaty. The tensions are starting to cool. Eventually, I'm not sure what year this started, but the CIA was able to use its mountain of cash, read taxpayer dollars. Uh, They were able to give money to the Social Democratic Party in Finland. And what did they get in return? Pretty sexy. They got seismic data on nuclear tests that the Russians were doing. And I guess uh, they could registered or whatever in Finland. So the CIA at least got that uh, for for their money. And the other thing is, um, and again, I just want to make this 
real short. I don't think we're going to go into Denmark too much, but Denmark's dealings with the Soviets were really interesting as well. And I'll just wrap, make this quick. Moscow goes to Copenhagen and says, hey, sign this. We got a signature from Finland. We got a signature from, or we didn't get a signature from Norway. It's a different one, but we got the signature and you're next. Denmark said, fuck you. It's foreign minister said, the Brit, it said, it told the Brits and the Americans, look, me, us joining the Benelux um, treaty or the or joining up with Norway, that's not going to deter the Soviets. The only thing that's going to deter the Soviets is a clear declaration by the Americans of what they would do if Denmark or whatever country was attacked. And by this time, the Americans are starting to go, you know what? Yeah, we need to do something, which is part of the lead up to the uh, the Atlantic Treaty. So a lot of these countries are are saying get us getting together is not going to do shit. We need America, and America keeps getting this request from different countries in different forms at different times under different situations. And eventually, like you were saying earlier, George Marshall goes, "You know what? Yeah, we need to do something, or this could all fall apart, and the entire war would have been for naught." So it's like we were saying, it's some of these things that are slowly bringing the Americans out of their isolationism. Now, in addition to Finland, the Soviets had already made friendship treaties with other countries on their border, Romania and uh, Hungary. Right. Both of which had fought on the side of the Axis in World War II until the Soviets defeated them and basically installed their own puppet governments. Yes. But Norway, as we've said, wasn't going to be as easy to pull into the Soviet orbit as some of these other countries. The Norwegian ambassador to the United States at the time, Wilhelm der Morgenstiern, said, we shall fight with everything we have against any attempt by foreign or domestic enemies to destroy our freedom, independence, and democratic institutions. Once more, we shall prefer to die on our feet than to live on our knees, as opposed to you, Ray, who spends most of your life on your knees, I loves to be living. on your knees. I it's where you're most on comfortable on your exactly. knees. Exactly. Yeah. I, I have the best knee pads. I, I make a living uh, on my knees. No, but the thing for Norway, and you were saying this in the previous episode, this is a very tricky thing for them. It's also a tricky thing for the British because the, the Norway is like, one, we share a border with Soviet Russia. They could actually, without touching any other country, come around the top to the very north and invade and come south. It could get very ugly. Uh, its foreign minister is like, uh, we need some kind of transatlantic security co- cooperation, which is when the, those countries started talking. And again, they figured out it wouldn't work. But the point is, the British are nervous because if Denmark, no, the British are nervous because if Norway goes communist, then you can have all those Russian or Soviet or communist ships right there, right on the other side of the North Sea. They could easily get into mm. the Atlantic. And I'll, and I'll just say this and I'll stop. The British are nervous. They don't know what to do. They can't go toe to toe with Soviet Russia, but they don't need to because they're counting on the Americans getting nervous as well. And like you said in the last episode, if the Soviets can easily get into the uh, Mediterranean, they can get into Atlantic, maybe they can disrupt trade. And this is all about trade. So the Americans are getting nervous as well. i got to tell you a story. Um, Fox was telling me, we were in the car the other day, and he was right. saying that one of his teachers Uh-oh. at school is married to a, a little person. And he said, "What's what is a little person?" And, and I was like, "Well, the, these are people that are born with some sort of um, abnormality, and, right. and they can't grow to normal height. They they're just very very short." He goes, "Oh, okay, like Ray." I was like, 
Jeez, wow. I wish I had that on. wish I had that recorded. <laughs> okay. All right. So uh, just to sum he's up. He's eight and he just <laughs> loves playing out on you, giving you shit. No problem. So the doctor <laughs> tested me. I'm not a midget. I'm not mentally deformed. My penis is slightly av- uh, below average, but the point is all normal here. It's just kind of on the small side. We don't need to label anything, you know, whatever. I don't know. Anyway, I better not see that. Anyway. We don't need to. <laughs> but, but it's, it's just fun. It's fun. fun. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. glad I could bring hours of entertainment to your entire family. For fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> we're Norway's government at yeah. the time was led by the Labor Party, uh, typically leftist, socialist, uh, you know, quasi-social democrat, right. or democratic socialism, depending on which way you want to slice it. From 1945 to 1962, led by Prime Minister Einar Gerhardsen. Nice name. Now, this guy was the PM for three periods, 1945 to 51, right. 1955 to 63, 1963 to 65, 16 years as Prime Minister, makes him the longest-serving Prime Minister in Norway since the introduction of parliamentarianism. Uh, Parliamentarism. Parliamentarism, I think, is the right word there. Now, many Norwegians refer to him as Landsfaderen, which which sounds like I just made it up and I'm talking like the Swedish chef. (laughs) Erdy, birdy, Landsfaderen, but no, surprisingly, maybe. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Means father of the nation, Landsfather. Landsfatheren. Okay. Generally considered one of the main architects of the post-war rebuilding of Norway after World War II. Himself originally a communist and spent time in prison when he was younger for taking part in strike actions. Oh. During World War II, he was part of the resistance, was arrested by the Nazis mm-hmm. after they invaded Norway, do was sent to a concentration camp in Norway, then moved to one in Germany, and then back to the old one in Norway. Damn. Was tortured yeah. by the Nazis because they believed he was uh, controlling the resistance from inside prison. Wow. But he gave them nothing and somehow managed to survive his time in the concentration camps. Wow. There are stories in some blogs that I came across, some right-wing, extreme right-wing blogs that say that he was actually a KGB spy. Oh, for fuck's sake. Um, uh, remember the, the KGB archivist who defected after um, the end of the Cold War, uh, Mitrokin, the Mitrokin archives, Mm. Um, they claim that he revealed that Gerharden was a KGB spy or a mole anyway for the KGB. I went through, I've got Mitrokin, the book, The Sword and the Shield, I think the book about his um, archives and the revelations, that's not in it. Right. Um, I couldn't find any credible uh, source for this, so I, I'm probably not true, probably bullshit. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Now, after World War II, Norway decided to stay neutral. Um, Good for them. With the Cold War, you know, they there was this term of bridge building. They wanted to right. sit between the East and the West. But uh, like with Finland, um they wanted to stay neutral, but you know, in Sweden. But as we talked about in the last episode, they tried to do that in World War One and World War Two, and it hadn't really worked out very well for them. Exactly, they've been pressured by both all sides. Um, 
uh, invaded by Germany uh, in World War Two, and and during World War One, pressured by the British to stop trading with Germany. Yeah, being occupied. I'm just real quick. Being occupied by Nazi Germany will change your mind or your point of view when it comes to neutrality. I would love mm. to be neutral. That shit's mm. not working out for us. We need something more because we don't want a third go around. But you're right. They literally wanted to be. Hey, we'll just be here. We'll do our shipping and our trade, and we'll be in the middle. We're good. But between what's going on with Soviet Russia and more importantly, what's going on with the Americans and the British. Um, no one's really being allowed to not choose. It's getting to the point where you have to choose a side, even though there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of political tension in the air and there's a lot of um, misunderstandings and mistrust. It's leading to the kind of political tension where people are like, you know what? We have to do something. We can't just sit here and be neutral anymore. Those days are gone. And like in Italy and Greece and Czechoslovakia uh, and Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. the communists were very popular. in Norway, particularly in northern Norway after the war because the Soviets were seen as uh, the liberators of Norway. Absolutely. And, you know, the communists there, as in many other places, including Gerharden, were a big part of the resistance movement during World War II. Um, So uh, the communist vote in Norway rose from... Uh, 4,376 votes in 1936 to 177,000 in the first post-war election in 1945, which was about 12% of the vote. That's huge. That's a huge Not as huge as it was in Czechoslovakia where they were getting like 65% of the vote. (laughs) Right, right. It was still a big jump. So they were quite popular. Two communists were included in the new national government after this first election after World War II. Um, but it started to sour a little bit. Now, in 1944, Molotov, Stalin's mm. foreign minister, right. presented Norway with demands to revise the Svalbard Treaty, formerly known as the Spitsbergen Treaty. Mm-hmm. Um, my old nickname for you with uh, Spitsbergen, but then you became Swallowsbergen and uh, had to change the name a of the promotion. treaty. promotion. Yeah. Sorry. Um, The Svalbard Treaty recognised the sovereignty of Norway over the islands, the archipelago of Svalbard, originally called Spitsbergen, a bunch of little islands sort of halfway between the northern coast of Norway and the North Pole. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was – the treaty was signed in 1920 – and signed by, you know, most of the countries that were part of the League of Nations at the time, basically gave, gave Norway control of it, but they weren't allowed to build any military bases on there or anything like that. Right. Um, Molotov wanted them to cede Bear Island, one of the islands there, to the Soviet Union so mm-hmm. they could, you know, build a naval base there pretty much. Right. Um, Norway didn't want to do that, Um would have been very difficult uh, domestically, politically for Norway, also right. difficult for them internationally to have, you know, agreed not to build any military bases there, but then to cede part of it to Russia so they could build a naval base. So 
They said no, and and the view of um, the Soviet Union in Norway as a result of this started to, and, and other things like right. Czechoslovakia and Finland, et cetera, et cetera, started to decline. By mm-hmm. 1949, the elections in Norway, the communists only got 6% of the vote, so it halved between 1945 and 1949. Yeah. But the point is now, they're not December, being thrown in jail, they're not being outlawed like some countries have done, like the Americans want everybody to do. So they're there, they're tolerated. And also I meant to mention this about Finland. Finland had communists within their cabinet as well. Uh, they just weren't in charge uh, and they were just amongst the cabinet. I mean, it was no big deal to have communists in these countries because these countries were for decades uh, left-leaning. And so it was not the big deal that it may sound like if you if you don't take it in that context. Sorry, I just mm. wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. Um, so in December 1948, Norway and the USSR did sign a new trade pact, but as we've said a number of times, Soviets were pushing Norway to sign a non-aggression pact yes. Yes. on top of the trade pact. Right. And Norway was reluctant. We've sort of talked a little bit about why. I mean, part of me goes, well, why wouldn't you want to sign a non-aggression pact? I would want to sign a non-aggression pact with everyone. Right. Um, But, you know, they were, uh, for some reason, the Norwegians were more paranoid about what that would possibly entail for them down the track. Yeah. Um, they didn't trust the Soviet Union to, I guess, uh, uphold their part of the non-aggression pact for some reason. Well, it could be but that. But a little just, bit more to it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and again, just their fear of foreigners, uh, or you could even maybe use the word hatred of foreigners after being occupied by Nazi Germany for a couple of years. So so mm, four year, four and a half years or whatever. Um, I do know that, um, one, yeah, they just wanted to get back to their trade. Two, I think from what I read, they felt that when they were talking to the Soviet Union about trade, yeah, we'll work everything out. If it was anything else, like the friendship treaty or the non-aggression, they just felt like that would be opening Pandora's box. And once that conversation started, they might not be able to get out. So they never really got to that point. And they just said, we're not sure what we want to do yet. They were keeping their options open. I think Norway had one eye, one eye on Britain. And Britain had one eye on America. So I think everybody's just kind of seeing, waiting for what to see what the big guy, America, is going to do at this point. And like I said, I think previously said, George Marshall was like, you know what? Yeah, I think something is needed. And he's thinking seriously about this by at least late 1948. I think a couple of the other things going on here is one, after the takeover of the government in Czechoslovakia by the communists mm-hmm. the right. quote unquote coup the which was which was portrayed in the west then as it still is today in yeah. most of the cold war history books as a moscow led takeover, takeover yes. A coup yes um it, you know wasn't really um understood as a, a you know, the result of um domestic Catholic fascist terrorism, et cetera, right. as we explained it to be. So that, I think, freaked the Norwegians out. But I think the the, the most important part mm-hmm. here is I said before that when Finland signed the non-aggression pact, part of that was they didn't feel like they could participate in the Marshall Plan. Oh. The Norwegians wanted Marshall Plan money. Right, yeah. And we know one of the conditions that the Americans put into place of yep. getting Marshall Plan money was you needed to crush 
any socialist or communist parties in your country. Yes. And you can't do that and sign a tr- friendship treaty <laughs> with the Soviet Union. Untenable. They're not going to. Yeah. They're not going to like that. Yeah. If you so, want the cash, kick out the commie. Yeah. Sorry. Commies versus cash. <laughs> now, after the, the Czechoslovakia incident, uh, the Norwegian Labour Party did start to distance themselves from the communists in their ranks. Right. And they figured they had to pick a side right now. Yeah. No, neutrality was not really an option. They needed to pick a side. One side is offering you a shit ton of money. The other <laughs> side is offering you a handshake and a reach around. Right. Uh, they decided to take the money. They bought they did have a border with the Soviet Union but it wasn't yeah. as large as right. the border that Finland has. Yeah. So they decided to pick a side and they yeah. decided to go with the West. Now on top of that, mm-hmm. during World War II, uh Trygve Lee was right. the foreign minister of the Norwegian government in exile in London. Mhm. He was one of the biggest supporters of the idea of giving up the idea of neutrality and aligning Norway with the West. <laughs> And then, of course, from 1946 to 1952, he was the first Secretary General of the United Nations. Pretty impressive. So you've got this guy who's very high up in the Norwegian government or had been. Now he's the Secretary General of the United Nations, which is based in New York, heavily influenced, obviously, by the West. Right. And it's not really surprising that he's going to be pushing Norway to join NATO, form well, this North Atlantic uh, Treaty. Right. But the other part of that was Trig, if I can call him that. Um, uh, it's like he calling Steven Spielberg Steve. Um, uh, yeah, he, he was there. You know, he had to get out when the Germans invaded. But I think he was taking a realistic approach. You know what? I, I would rather not do any of this. I just wish everybody would leave us alone. But like you said, it's getting to the point all over Europe where you pretty much have to pick a side. He's like, we have to be practical. We have to be pragmatic. We have to be realistic. Again, the Soviets are right the fuck there. The Americans are way over there. And what troops the Americans have are in Central or, yeah, Central Europe. So can't do us a lot of good. So we have to deal with the cards that we have been dealt and we'll just do the best we can. And as we saw for Norway, it worked out, but there were some concessions they were willing to make not to upset Stalin too much. And I thought that was very wise and mature of them. So basically, the Trigmeister General is uh, pushing them, (laughs) I imagine, to take the money, honey, and... Right. Uh, don't worry. The, U, the the U.S. has your back if you take yes. the money now, or the United Nations has your back. Right. I should know. I'm the boss of the United right. Nations. I'm the man. Now, of course, uh, a year or so later, yeah, uh, when the U.S. invaded uh, Korea, um, uh, and um, the Trigmeister General was trying to push for an international command of right. the UN forces in good. Korea. Yeah. Um, what happened? Truman told him to go fuck himself. <laughs> and they insisted that MacArthur was going to lead it. We've talked all about that in our Korean right. War series. Yes. So he didn't yeah, he, his experience um wasn't terrific uh during that period, I think, uh with the clusterfuck that that became during his right. uh secretary generalship of the United Nations. Yeah. It sounds but, to me like yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I was going to say, uh, just back a bit of background on the Trigmeister General. Yes, please. Um, 
like Gerhardin, he was a socialist from a very early age. Right. Once met Vladimir Lenin while on a Labor Party visit to Moscow. Right. And when he was the justice minister in the 1930s, gave permission for Leon Trotsky to settle in Norway when he'd been exiled from the Soviet Union by Stalin. Ooh. But yeah. the Trigmeister ended up putting Trotsky under house arrest. Yeah. Under pressure from Stalin. Yeah. Because Trotsky was uh, it's a bit like um uh Julian Assange when he was uh hiding out in uh, the UK. Right. Um he was sort of uh you know uh, uh, uh had been given asylum in Norway. Yeah. But he was writing you know, uh, a pamphlet after pamphlet denouncing Stalin oh. and what he was doing in the Soviet Union, causing Norway all sorts of problems. Yes. They're like, can you just shut the fuck up? So they ended up um, putting him under house arrest. Right. And um, he wasn't able to leave the house, massive security guard, him and his wife, um, and was uh, not allowed to write anything, not allowed to publish anything. They yeah. basically said, shut the fuck up. You can live here, here, but just yeah. don't – got to shut the fuck up. And then they ended up kicking him out um, right. under pressure from Stalin, 1936. He ends up going to Mexico, yeah. um, has has an affair with Frida Kahlo, et cetera, et cetera, right. and then gets assassinated, the old ice pick to the uh, brain a few years yes. later by yes. Stalin's assassins. Right. But when he was in Mexico, mm-hmm. Trotsky wrote, When I look back today on this period of internment, talking about his house arrest in Norway, I must say that never anywhere in the course of my entire life, and I've lived through many things, was I persecuted with as much miserable cynicism as I was by the Norwegian socialist government. Mm. For four months, these ministers, dripping with democratic hypocrisy, gripped me in a stranglehold to prevent me from protesting the greatest crime history may ever know. Uh, Don't piss off Stalin, who's our neighbor who might do something. I don't give a fuck about your wrongs. Uh, We're trying to not be invaded, so fuck all the way off. Climb up top, fuck off mountain, jump off, and right before you fall and hit the ground, fuck off again. Something Mm. along that line. I don't know. Yeah. It's what happens when Assange was uh, upsetting the Americans too. Yes, don't do that. British threw him in jail and he's uh, still there all these years later. Is he still in the U? I don't even know where the fuck he's at. Is he still in the UK? Belmarsh Prison, like the maximum security fucking prison for fucking murderers. And I think the Americans are hoping there's a Shiv accident. And we'll leave it at that. Yeah, Biden is still trying to extradite him. Um, to the U.S. so he can stand trial. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's how your Biden administration treats one of the great journalists of the yep. 21st century. Well, the point is be careful when you talk shit to Publish power journalist. There's there's yeah. there's consequences. Uh, and Trotsky found that out. So just to wrap up this episode, in February 1949, when it looked like Norway was going to sign the North Atlantic Pact, they yeah. were... Um, telling the Russians, the Soviets, that they didn't want to sign a non-aggression pact with them. Right. Um, The Soviets started to move forces towards the Norwegian border. Ooh, okay. Now, you know, this looks like an aggressive act. 
Yes. If you're in the West, yes. If you're in the Soviet Union and you've got a country that sits on your border and they're mm-hmm. refusing to sign a non-aggression pact with you, a friendship treaty with you, and they're signing one with your right. mortal enemies, yeah. it's called defense, self fucking yeah. defense. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, you don't know what's going to happen yeah. next. You know, when when Russia. Um, tore up its friendship treaty with France in Napoleon's day, mm-hmm. 1812. Right. Napoleon rightfully uh, saw that as uh, basically the first shot in a war. Right. And so, and they were amassing forces, the Russians on the, the Polish border. Um, so he saw that as, okay, well, obviously we're going to war now. He tried to, he wrote letters to Tsar Alexander, don't do this, don't do this, really don't want to do this, right. not a good idea to do this. Bad it's a bit like Caesar writing letters to um, Pompey. Yeah. Um, you really don't want to go down this just, path. It's just, not going to end well talk. for any of us. Let's talk. Yeah. Yeah. Alexander ignored all of his letters, kicked his kicked Napoleon's ambassador out of the country, and so Napoleon was like, all right, I guess we got to go and take care of this before it gets any further. You know, um, best line of defense is attack, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. didn't work out very well for him. No. But, but uh, Moscow suffered, so. That was his thinking. Well, yeah. it did, but they, the, Mo- Moscow's uh, governor burnt the city down to the ground. Right. Anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so the, the Soviets move forces to the border. Nothing happens as a result. Right. But they just do it. Yeah, um, as a, as a show of force, as yeah. a gesture, or as a defensive thing, we don't know what's coming. It, right. it could be a, could be a warning sign. Sweden's right. not going to sign with us; they're going to sign with the other guys. Shit, we yeah. better get some troops ready because something's Just coming. In case. Exactly, something wicked this way comes. Something <laughs> wicked this way comes. Two pack song. In right. case you didn't know one. If Two I pack could. reference. No, I, I did not. Thank you. Just before you wrap up, I, I just think this is worth noting. Um, so Norway will sign the North Atlantic Alliance. It signs it on April 4th, 1949. I think you might have mentioned that already. There's a whole bunch of other countries that sign. When Norway signs, this is this convinces Iceland and Denmark to, to follow suit. But like you were just saying, the Soviets have moved troops closer to the to the border. Norway is being practical. They're being pragmatic. So here's what they do. Yes, they signed the North, the, uh, the Atlantic treaty, but they will not allow any forward bases in their territory. They will not allow any foreign troops on their territory, and they will not allow in the future nuclear weapons to be on their territory. So again, the North uh, Norway to the best of their ability, even though they sign with the West, they're still trying to balance out something in the middle because they realize they're, in the middle between two bears, they have to be careful. But again, I think they handled it very well, and they were very mature, and they considered the Soviet point of view through all of their negotiations. Not a bad way to go. Mm, yes and no. Yeah, I well, mean, to a degree. To they, a degree. they didn't sign a non-aggression pact with the Soviets, which no, is what no. the Soviets wanted. No, they, they I pick. I picked your brother, not you. But I hope we could really be friends. It was kind of one of those things. I won't do anything to ruffle feathers with you, Stalin. But I'm officially going with these guys because we get tons of cash. And they tried to assure the Soviets that uh, it was yeah. a defensive pact. It wasn't an aggressive thing, but right. which is still the story that NATO tries to sell today. Yeah. But 
you know, again, you, if you think about it from the Soviets' perspective or the Russian perspective today, yeah, when your enemy is uh, putting military bases all along your border and says, oh, don't worry, it's sure. just for defensive purposes. In case you attack uh, us, we're the victims here. I'm the victim. After you've been invaded twice <laughs> in the last couple of decades right. uh, by right. countries on your border or yeah. close to your border, yeah. uh, via your border, um, yeah, that, that's a very hard argument uh, to prosecute, yeah. really. Oh, it's just defensive. These guns that we're pointing at you are right. purely defensive. Yes. Um, here, here, here's the best way to think of it. When you're playing chess with someone halfway through the game, stop, turn the board around, and look at the same game from their point of view, it will open your eyes. We still don't do that in America yet, but yeah. Well, the Norwegians uh, produced the uh, greatest chess player probably that's ever lived now, Who's Magnus Carlsen. Oh, Magnus yeah. Magnus Carlsen, who's been the world champ for uh, well oh, over 10 years name. now. He's got to be And with probably, yeah. for my money, right. probably the greatest chess player uh, ever. Wow. Better than Bobby Fischer, better than Garry Kasparov, better than Spassky. Right. Um, you know, I think he's, he's, he's a freak. <laughs> did you did you hear, I don't know if you heard this, but there was a t- like he's he's been the world champion and he's um declared a few months ago that he's not gonna contest the championship anymore. He's sort of retiring his world right. championship. It's just he's kind of bored. Yeah. But he's still playing in tournaments, uh, which means it's all fucked. I mean, um so the two guys that are gonna play the world championship this year, Nepo, who's a Russian, and another guy, whoever wins is gonna be technically the world champion, but they know that Magnus know. could probably beat them with we one hand tie behind his back. Yeah. But there was a speed tournament happening recently, a blitz tournament, which is three minute games. Right? Fuck. There was one game due to start this particular morning, it's like day four or something of the tournament. Magnus was playing black, his right. opponent's playing white. Magnus doesn't turn up to the or the 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 venue where they're having the tournament oh, in the sure. morning. Right. The tournament organizers wait for 15 minutes because Magnus is the draw card. He's the superstar. Yeah. Eventually they go, oh fuck it, we need to start. So the guy playing white makes his move, hits the clock. Magnus's clock is ticking down. Right. He's got three minutes in total on the clock to play the whole game. Yeah. Magnus comes running into the auditorium when his clock is two minutes and 30 seconds down. <laughs> Shakes the guy's hand, sits down, and cleans the floor with him. Wipes the floor with him. Oh, my <laughs> he's got God. thirty seconds on his clock. And he now does. it's probably thirty. It's thirty plus one. So every time you make a move, you get an extra second. Yeah. Know? Okay. But he just goes. Bop, 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 bop. Thank you. Good. I'll get out of here. Yeah. Like a fuck. I gotta got take a shit. It's I insane. Take a shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, he is so. insanely good. Um, I will never he's have just to worry a freak. About yeah, yeah, his brain just whoop, works a certain way. Anyway. All right, that's the show for this week. Um, we'll be back uh, at some point in the future to talk about more NATO-y stuff, I guess. Sounds good. <laughs>